0: Hi everybody, Cheryl Atkinson here. Welcome to another edition of the Cheryl Atkison podcast. Today I'm on the road finishing my European trip, shooting stories for the upcoming season of full measure. I'll also talk today about the heavy hand of Google Censorship. A lot of you probably know that one of the things I've written about the most is the heavy hand of censorship and the invisible hands that are shaping this censorship and our information landscape manipulating it a big part of that as you know is big tech talking about google twitter facebook not to mention wikipedia snopes and many others these entities are working hand in hand with political and corporate interests to try to make sure you do see certain information and that you don't see or don't believe other information even though Oftentimes, that's the information that's true, and the information that they're letting you see is false. It's gotten so blatant that I think a pretty good percentage of the population, the thinking people who are paying attention to this sort of thing, they've figured it out. They know that when a so called fact check is conducted, particularly by one of the usual suspects, and when it finds that something is not true or not proven, that oftentimes you should consider that probably is the proven or the true thing because that's how it turns out so often. And besides the obvious overt censorship, they have all kinds of sneaky ways that they can influence the information landscape in ways you wouldn't have thought about a few years ago. I've referred to the influence and censorship of these companies as sort of a bait and switch because all of us got hooked on this technology and the social media and these platforms at a time when they were advertised and probably fully intended to be sort of an open, free speech sort of thing. And then once everybody came to rely on them for their day-to-day communications and information, these powerful and influential forces that I've written about in my books, like the smear, they came to understand if they could control this little box, I mean your computer, I mean your devices that you hook onto the internet with, if they could just control that pipeline well it would be even easier than going from media organization to media organization as they maybe had to do in the past to try to influence things that way so they came to influence and work hand in hand with these companies that hold the keys to the kingdom the information kingdom but in addition to making sure that information you want to see even if it's peer-reviewed published research for example doesn't show up when you do a Google search, for example, Google has other ways to control what you see and what you think. And I'm gonna touch on one of those right now because I do think there's power in understanding how all of this works. So one way Google can control the information people get is through its AdSense service, A-D-S-E-N-S-E. They call their advertising service AdSense. Under Google AdSense, websites like mine, CherylAxon.com can sign up and, in essence, defray a small part of operating cost for the website by letting Google rotate various ads into spaces on the site. You, as the website owner, you don't know what ads they're going to put on there on a given day, but they rotate them through and then you, the website operator, can receive a small payment based on the number of visits to the site or perhaps more precisely the number of clicks that a particular ad gets. That all sounds well and good. Well, when Google wants to censor content, it can use its ad service to do that by withholding the ability of pages like mine to monetize or make money on its site in that way. Because what it does is Google AdSense will flag pages on the sites that it wants you to take down or change, and then it demands this advertising service that the pages be taken down or changed or else the ads cannot be posted. One thing that my website is all about is not censoring factually accurate information and varieties of viewpoints. It's one of my goals, in fact, to make sure that at SherylAckeson.com, you can see and access information that powerful interests are trying to get you not to see. More like an old-fashioned news source, in fact, not necessarily the prevailing narrative that important or powerful interests are trying to control. That's the whole point. So when Google flags my articles, my factually accurate articles, and demands that they be taken down, I don't do it. I'm not going to. But it's been interesting to watch what they have flagged, because all of these articles are factually accurate, and in some cases, nothing more than an excerpt of an article or a study that the big tech censors don't touch when it's published elsewhere, but clearly there is a minder or a watcher that's been assigned to look at my page and make sure certain articles aren't seen because that's what the website's all about. But if you look at what these articles have in common, the ones that Google wants to be taken down, it's pretty much two basic categories. Number one, anything that accurately reports on pharmaceutical issues like COVID-19 vaccine side effects, medical information in general that some in the medical establishment do not want widely reported, even if it's based on peer-reviewed published studies that aren't in question. And the second category, articles that do not shed Donald Trump in a false or negative light. They want only information that makes Trump or anything he did look bad. These censors clearly do not want anything that tends to not make Donald Trump look bad, even if it's completely factual and not opinionated and the citations are included, they don't want that out there. So we can conclude that whoever's calling the shots on this, they're doing it on behalf of pharmaceutical and anti-Trump interests, which could be one and the same. So what I'm doing now that my site is demonetized entirely because I wouldn't take down these articles, I'm listing the articles one by one at CherylAxon.com. I'll be adding to them periodically when I have time so that people can see and specifically share these articles and the information that the powerful interests are working hardest to suppress. I'll go over a few of those topics right now. First of all, Google censored a factual article that's not in dispute that objectively recounts information strictly from a government database on COVID vaccine adverse events. This article was simply titled, 80 of the most common adverse events reported after COVID-19 vaccination. That's all it is. It's a look of a federal database, not something that anybody else invented. And it looks at the illnesses and disorders by category reported after COVID-19 vaccination. This is the vaccine adverse event reporting system called VAERS. I note explicitly at the beginning of the article that a report does not necessarily prove that the illness or death was caused by COVID vaccine or in the case of other vaccines by any particular vaccine. The system is designed to collect adverse events after vaccination in order to uncover any patterns that were not captured during vaccine studies. This is a crucial element of vaccine safety and this is how whether it's vaccines or a similar system for other medicines, this is often how adverse events are picked up that were never known about initially until a pretty large percentage of the population started using the medicine. Scientists have estimated, as I pointed out at the beginning of this article, that adverse events caused by a medicine occur at a rate up to 100,000 times higher in the general population than what's reported, since it's established that most adverse events never make it to a report in the database. However, some claim, as I say in this article, that COVID-19 vaccine adverse events are not as likely to be underreported in the federal database because there is so much monitoring and widespread publicity surrounding COVID vaccination and the possible adverse events. In any event, this straight analysis added no opinions or hypotheticals. It simply put in order the numbers of the most frequently reported major categories of adverse events. For example, number one, with at the time more than 226,000 cases were problems with temperature regulation, fever, chills, sweating, flushing, hypo or hyperthermia. And it goes down the list to movement, muscle and nerve, neuropathy, paralysis, heart issues. Many of these explicitly now acknowledged to be linked to various vaccines. So none of this is disputed or controversial. It's just that Many interests don't want people to see this information, so Google has demonetized the article and the website, calling the article dangerous or derogatory content. It's in essence saying that the federal database and the information contained in it is dangerous or derogatory. And by the way, does that therefore imply that derogatory content, meaning something that's negative about something or somebody, even if completely true, is not to be shared or seen on Google? If so, does that mean only non-derogatory content? How does one conduct an investigation of anything? How does one report on crime? How does one report on corruption or many issues of the day? It doesn't make any sense. A second Google AdSense censored article on my website is a factual article about COVID origins, which has all the citations the actual scientific and sources and supporting documents included. And by the way, it includes arguments on both sides of that controversy, but nonetheless, Google demonetized the article as unreliable and harmful claims. Again, that makes no sense whatsoever. By the way, as the origins of COVID have become more and more accepted, at least the widely accepted theory and belief based on genetic analysis and other factors that this was man-manipulated and likely came from the Wuhan lab in China, is that has become fairly widely accepted. It's been reported by media on left and right and all over the place and not censored when certain people and entities report it. Nothing different than what I've reported. In fact, I would say mine is more responsible reporting than most because of the citations that I included and the supporting documents I took great care to do that because of the nature of the controversies. And yet, Google says that is unreliable and harmful. Another Google AdSense censored article on my website is a factual article based entirely on government documents. The events recounted are not in dispute. Yet Google again called this article unreliable and harmful claims. This has to do with a CDC senior scientist writing an email to cdc's head of immunization in which the senior scientist tells the other cdc official you are a pathetic liar so again this article simply recounts an internal email released through a freedom of information act request there is nothing in dispute about whether this is a real email i'm quoting directly from it and yet because it has to do with an immunization issue that powerful pharmaceutical interests don't want you to see. Google has listed this as dangerous or derogatory and demanded that I take it down, and I will not. Another one, this is interesting, I guess this is a slightly different category than the overarching two categories I mentioned, but probably related somehow. It's the same people that would be trying to censor it. It's a factual accounting of my lawsuit progress over the government intrusions of my computer when I was a CBS News correspondent. The events that I listed are undisputed. It's sort of a timeline with some of the supporting court documents. And nonetheless, Google demonetized this factual article as unreliable harmful claims. By the way, I need to do a whole podcast on the lawsuit coming up because this is, I believe we're finishing our second week of depositions in my lawsuit over the government computer intrusions. This has been going on for years, but this is the closest we've gotten to actually making it where we can be heard in a court. Typically, the Department of Justice fights very hard defending the guilty agents so that this never goes to trial, so we can't even get our forensics, which are airtight and undisputed, that the government did this, intruded my computer, spied on me, and so on. We can't even get before a jury because the Department of Justice spends your tax money fighting the case. And though it hasn't been widely reported, I will mention that I have won a clerk's default judgment in that case already. I think it's probably the first win by a journalist who has had their computers intruded upon illegally by the government ever. That won't become final until the whole case is over and then the judge hopefully officially enters a default judgment against that one ex-government agent. So from a standpoint of getting at the truth and proving what happened with some specificity, meaning who was responsible for it, we're pretty happy we've gotten that far and certainly hope to make more progress with what is an upcoming trial if things continue to move forward. Although I don't hold my breath because as I've learned, there's a lot more that has to do with politics and gamesmanship and so on, to getting a case before a jury and actually winning it. At one point, I remember, since we had the airtight forensics, which are as good as a fingerprint, I'm told, that proved the government was in the CBS computers and my computers, we know all that. And I thought, well, that's all you need. And the government will therefore apologize and hold the guilty federal agents responsible. Well, come to find out, If the Department of Justice doesn't decide to do the right thing and decides instead to fight every step of the way, these forensics don't mean anything because you can't get them to court. And because the way the legal system works, you kind of have to prove who did it before you could possibly prove who did it, meaning names, because you have to have discovery. You'd have to get some of the guilty parties to admit what they did before the trial occurs, sort of a catch-22. Well, anyway, we're doing our best, and I'll try to do a whole podcast or article updating some of the stuff soon because I know some of you are interested in that. All right, another Google AdSense censored article. This is interesting. This was a direct excerpt that I published on my website from Becker's Hospital Review. In other words, I didn't add any content to it. I just took a short excerpt from something I thought was interesting and then I linked to the actual article in Becker's Hospital Review, which is, I don't think, ever censored. But Google called it unreliable and harmful claims and demanded that I remove the page. Even knowing that this censorship is on certain narratives, I can't figure out how they ended up flagging this other than they're just sort of censorship happy on my particular website. Because let me read you the first couple of sentences of the article that they wanted censored from Becker's Hospital Review. It says, the American Hospital Association and 15 other national health care organizations are calling on HHS to maintain the COVID-19 public health emergency. This was from May 2022. It goes on, in a May 10th letter to HHS Secretary Xavier Becerra, the organizations cited the continued risk from COVID-19 variants as well as rising case rates in the U.S., Go figure on what grounds that even the Google censors, with their loose standards, think that this is somehow harmful or derogatory or not fit for the public to read. And the last one I will briefly mention here is a Google AdSense censored article that includes findings from scientific studies that aren't in dispute by anybody, such as the COVID vaccine linked to heart issues, and yet Google demonetized the article as unreliable And harmful claims. I'll briefly read from this article that they did not want you to see or read about. It says, a large real-world case control study from Israel finds that the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine triples the risk of heart inflammation known as myocarditis. Quote, vaccination had a strong association with an increased risk of myocarditis, concluded the study's authors. Myocarditis was already an acknowledged known risk of the vaccinations, particularly in young people. The study also found the Pfizer vaccine caused an increased risk of lymphadenopathy, swelling or inflammation of lymph nodes, appendicitis, and herpes zoster infection. Now, normally, medical experts, public health officials would want this information to get out because they would want people to know about the potential risks, to be on the lookout for it maybe pay particular attention if they have some sort of predisposition for an illness that is either caused or triggered or theoretically connected to the vaccine. That's what a neutral public health establishment would want for the safety of the public. So you must ask yourself why they don't want this information to be disseminated. If you're interested in this topic or in reading some of these links and sharing them For the moment, I've pasted this on the front page of SherylAckeson.com. You can look at the article, you can access the links, you can share them with other people because, again, I think the best way to defeat this censorship and information manipulation is to do the opposite of what they hope to do, which is to widely share the information they don't want you to see or hear or share. After a short break, we will lighten up a little bit. And I will be talking to you from on the road as I finish up my European trip, researching and shooting stories for the upcoming season eight of Full Measure. In this age of a highly controlled media landscape, it's never been more important to support truly independent journalism. Go to Cheryl and click the store tab for a great way to do that. We just designed some thought-provoking beach towels for summer you'll love to show off and make a statement with at the beach or the pool or hang them in your guest bathroom. They feature catchphrases like, I tested positive for critical thinking. And do your own research, make up your own mind, think for yourself. Proceeds support independent journalism causes like the Ion Awards for off-narrative accurate reporting. Visit CherylAckeson.com and click the Store tab. Here we are leaving Germany, spent quite a bit of time here compared to how long we normally stay when we're visiting, usually in and out. So we went to Berlin and where else, Brian? Dresden. Dresden. Did you like Dresden?
1: Dresden was beautiful. Yeah, it was nice.
0: It really was. I'll have a story on that on full measure because we got the historic tour and one of the And most interesting things I learned about Dresden was that you go there, it looks like a bunch of old buildings from maybe as early as the 17th century. You know, they all look old. But it turns out, because England and the U.S. bombed them during World War II, and apparently all this happened in a one- to two-day period, it leveled so much that most everything you see there today that looks old was built back, but expertly built back. And some of it fairly recently built back so in the tour that we are going to take we'll talk about some of the areas that are still old or some of the pieces of buildings that are old and some of them that have been rebuilt to look old including this amazing church that we got to see and then daniel what were your impressions of frankfurt you've never been here even though way back i guess your family's from germany
2: um frankfurt uh the little we saw it's pretty we stayed near downtown we, um, in the financial district and but on the other side just a few blocks away was the uh, red light district which I didn't realize they had um, and I booked the hotel so sorry about that <laughs> um, but it was you know I Frankfurt look you know it's like a lot of other European cities and um, it's bustling and lots of people and cars and trains and you know it's like it like every other German city or European city. It was quite nice.
0: Why don't, you, why don't you tell them a little bit about the trip you arranged? We'll have a great story on full measure. But we went to what I guess is the southwestish part of Germany.
2: Yeah, we went to Rammstein Air Base, a um, huge U.S. installation. Um, and, you know, it was a, about an hour and a half drive down from Frankfurt. And we saw, we continued to see a lot of. Uh, windmills um, for energy, and actually there were some solar solar farms, and it was you know it was quite a nice drive. And then, um, but yeah, Ramstein is is a huge installation, lots going on there. Um, obviously, um, as it relates to Ukraine and, and Russia, um, and so we'll have a look at some of that as well on full measure. So that's a that's a really uh, I had never been to Ramstein. Um, I've been and. You know, it's quite an quite an impressive facility.
0: And I had been there in March, about March nineteenth of two thousand three, when the U.S. was getting ready for its second soiree in Iraq, after the Iraq invasion of Kuwait and all of that. And it brought back some memories, although the base has changed quite a bit since I was there. But I remember waiting. I was embedded with the Air Force, and we were supposed to fly in with, if I'm using the right number here, F-15s, I was supposed to be on one of them, into Kuwait, I'm sorry, into Iraq to drop bombs, but we didn't get permission from Turkey, so when the night of shock and awe came, we were supposed to fly through Turkey to refuel, and Turkey wouldn't let the Americans do that, so that ruined shock and awe on what I think wasn't widely reported, although I'm sure I reported on CBS somewhere at the time, Shock and awe wasn't nearly so shocking and awesome as it was supposed to be because Turkey would not let the U.S. planes land there and they had to go with the long-range planes they had without refueling and it was just not according to plan. But that brought back some memories. We also saw some fun little whimsical things while we were driving around Germany. Well, not really whimsical when you talk about the windmills, but there are those giant windmills everywhere. Not talking about like what Brian calls the Don Quixote windmills, <laughs> but those I mean I've heard that when you see these windmills in person they're bigger than you think, but these were even bigger than the ones I've seen and even bigger than I thought just everywhere out in the countryside in Germany. We'll be reporting on some of that and what I was really thinking about is the funny things we saw on the road and I'm sure they have them elsewhere but we just happened to see these strange vehicles <laughs> In Germany, one of them we had to look up and search and kind of crowdsource on Twitter to see exactly what this thing was. You want to talk about that, sure. Brian?
1: I think it's with the velomobile. Like I believe it's it's like a it's like a fully enclosed recumbent bike where you do, you kind of lay on your back and pedal. And apparently, it's so efficient that they say that you can get up to what fifty kilometers per hour with very little effort on a flat surface. And when we were coming into Frankfurt. Um, and we're driving through the city. This little pod, which we all thought was like, ba- I guess, battery operated, was keeping pace with us and passing us, and and we would pass it, and it would, and but it looked like a little space age, um, you know, like a little space age vehicle. You know, it was kind of cool. It's kind of so we all, of course, you know, we took pictures of it, and then Cheryl put it on her Twitter to figure out if, who could. I guess crowdsourced it to see who you know who could tell us what it was and very quickly somebody sent us the link was pretty wild and it was some guy just in there pedaling his little butt off.
0: Well it looked like an older guy and it was funny because he was mixing in with trucks and cars and for a time on the highway and it looked so dangerous and it turns out it's just like a bicycle he's pedaling in there because he was going pretty fast. I read up a little bit on the this weird, interesting vehicle. And like Brian said, apparently it doesn't take a whole lot of pedal power to make it go fast. And then, so he's kind of following along with us for a long ways. After a while, he got on the sidewalk where the the bikes are running. So he'd go from the highway to the sidewalk and glad he didn't get smushed because it didn't look like it was that safe. Then when we were driving back from Ramstein, we saw these two cars people commented on, like, those little race cars from the cartoons where Dastardly Dan or somebody, plus his dog, his mutt, used to ride around in these cars. Who wants to talk about those cars? So I know what they are. Okay.
1: So I sent the pictures, the video, to a friend of mine who's a car guy, and um, he said that they are most likely Bentleys. I thought they were Bugattis because I saw the, the B and the emblem. Uh, Bentleys from the 1920s, big open wheel cars, uh, like two or I believe two seaters. Um, and then the drivers had their, their leather caps on with their, you know, old aviator goggles. It was kind of fun. And he said that there was badging on the cars that he saw that looked like they had just returned from a rally, some sort of probably old, old car rally where they, they, everybody gets together and they drive. So, uh, you know, the old cars like that fascinate me. So, was kind of cool to to kind of come to the the end of the mystery
0: Was very cool you can go through my Twitter feed if you want to see video clips of those two vehicle things Um, if you go back the last couple of days you might come across it it's pretty interesting so this was the first foreign trip we've taken on full measure since the COVID outbreak because traveling was too hard and restricted until now and trip was pretty easy I won't say COVID's invisible. I guess a lot of places it feels nearly invisible, but there's still some remnants. For example, it was weird in Germany because most places you don't think about it, but if you get on public transportation, all of a sudden you have to put on a mask. Again, that doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense to me, but it makes sense to somebody. So you look at people on the buses, if they're driving by or trains. And then when we had to get on a plane and go in-country, not coming to here, but just going within the country on Lufthansa, we had to wear masks for that. We're trying to figure out if we have to wear a mask. Now we're heading to Frankfurt and going to fly back to the U.S. We didn't have to wear a mask coming into the United Kingdom. I don't know if we have to wear masks going back to the U.S. Or maybe when we cross over into international water, we can take the masks off. But um, not a lot of fear and care day-to-day it seems here you know when you go in businesses and so on they're not masking for the most part although you still see some of that you guys have any thoughts about the covid situation
1: though so a good bit of the people that we did see wearing masks were like receptionists at hotels and um you know obviously you know we had to wear a mask because we took one flight internal in in <laughs> germany from berlin to frankfurt we had to wear a mask there um, although I am admittedly a big mask skeptic in my personal life. So I spent the majority of that flight with, you know, I like to call it a chin diaper. <laughs> uh, and nobody seemed to bother me. So.
0: And then we did have to, if you went into any apparently administration buildings in Germany, that's where you have to wear uh, masks. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast and that if so, you'll leave a great review, subscribe to it, and share it with your friends. Check out my other podcast, Full Measure After Hours. And now you can support independent journalism by visiting CherylAckison.com and clicking the store tab. There are some thought-provoking and fun products designed exclusively for independent and free thinkers like you with proceeds benefiting independent reporting causes. Do your own research, make up your own mind, Think for yourself.